and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast. I'm Angie Mazzetti. Today's guest is Dr. Joanne Kenny of Trinity College Dublin, who's leading a key area of scientific research called the Enigma Consortium with Professor Emily Dennis of the University of Utah. And it's about an amazing piece of equipment, the human brain. If you want a challenge, it's the most complex problem you can work on is to study the human brain because, you know, while there's so much work done on it, there's still so little that we know about it. Dr. Kenny is an engineer who has also studied psychology, so she is using both areas of her expertise in her research, which she tells us about in the podcast. She's a co-director of WIRI, W-I-R-I, which stands for Women in Research Ireland, and has a large following on social media and always has something interesting to say, particularly on women in science and academia. One of the areas Joanne feels passionately about is the insecurity that many younger women research scientists feel in academia, an area where men still have more security than women, and that has to change, she believes, if women are to remain in research and thrive in academia. There's a real diversity problem in academia, she says, which is borne out by research. Only 26% of professors were women in 2019. But then if you look to the stats for those on the really precarious contracts, like part-time, short-term contracts, that's like 71% are women. One thing that would really help is a structured sponsorship and mentorship scheme for early career scientists who often don't know or haven't been shown the ropes and how the system works. You know, if universities could have a more structured mentorship scheme, that would be really invaluable for junior staff and early career staff. One of her pearls of wisdom is to say yes to invitations to speak and to get involved. To say yes first and to panic afterwards, which she says has stood to her and you'd never guess where she got that inspiration. I do panic, but then when I do it, it's never as bad as I had thought it would be. And I think the more you do it, then it's, it's just going to get easier to be putting yourself out there a bit more. So that was really good advice. Okay, so hello and welcome to Dr. Joanne Kenny, who is a research fellow at the School of Psychology and the Institute of Neuroscience at Trinity College Dublin. Joanne, you're very welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast. Thank you, Angie. Thank you for the invitation. It's really great to be here. Tell us a little bit about your current work and what you do in Trinity. Sure. Um, At the moment, I'm a a research fellow. Um, So I use brain imaging techniques like magnetic resonance imaging and EEG to study the structure and the function of the brain in psychiatric and neurological conditions. Um, So my main focus, my main interest at the moment is predictive brain health modeling. So I use techniques like machine learning for precision psychiatry. So that means trying to identify early factors like biological, cognitive or social factors that might increase someone's risk of developing um, severe psychiatric problems. Um, And that can ultimately help with early intervention strategies. Um, So I'm currently leading a project at the moment with an an international consortium called the Enigma Consortium with uh, Professor Emily Dennis at the University of Utah. And this is an international consortium. It's made up of neuroscientists and researchers from all around the world. We work together to combine large amounts of data to better understand the the brain structure and the function um, of the brain in many conditions. So that's very scientific. It's really bringing the technology involved into it, you know, the MRI, the, which we all know what that means, unlike everything else. Uh, so you must find it fascinating. Tell me, how did you get involved in all that area? 
yeah i i love it it's that's what it is my it is my passion that's why i keep doing it i, I just it, i find it really really interesting so initially when i started university i was i studied engineering so i did a degree in engineering um because at the time like i really loved technology i love maths i love problem solving um all those sort of skills but then when i finished that degree i realized that there was kind of something missing i was i was still looking for something else so i went back and i studied psychology and um i did a master's in cognitive and clinical neuroscience and that's where I got a real flavor for the neuroimaging techniques. So it's kind of combining the technology, but also kind of on a, a medical focus or a, you know, a psychological focus. And I, I just found that that um, uh, that combination was just what really, really sparked my interest. And I just I love it. Yeah, I love understanding more about myself, understanding more about how our brain works, how people work, um, hey, people's behavior, things like that. So um that's that's what keeps me working in this area. Yeah, it is fascinating because we tend to think of the mind because we're thinking within the mind of, you know, being something that we can change and that the science really is just there in the background. But it's actually extremely um, it's, it's an, it must be an amazing piece of technology itself. The brain, is it? I think it's like if you want um, a challenge, it's the most complex problem you can work on is to study the human brain because you know while there's so much work done on it there's still so little that we know about it and there's so so little we know about different conditions like you know and alzheimer's and, and psychiatric conditions and things like that and how to you know implement early intervention strategies um so it's um it's it's just it's fascinating it, it's us you know it's how we work and it's uh yeah it's, it's really fascinating yeah, when you talk about uh, early intervention strategies, are you studying if things make a difference? And does pharmacy come into that as well? Or what when you I'm, talk about early intervention, what do you mean? Yeah, I'm not I'm not directly involved in like pharmacological research, but it's uh, more identifying like markers that might identify someone early on that might put them at risk for developing psychiatric problems, maybe later in life or later on. Um, so there's one study that I'm working on it was a collaboration between Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland and um, Trinity College Institute of Neuroscience. So it's trying to, um, was studying adolescents with who experience subclinical psychotic experiences, which are actually not uncommon in young children and young um, early adolescents and and in young children. And that the, sometimes these experiences can put them at risk for developing problems later on in life. So it's, it's just trying to identify which individuals are more at risk for um, developing severe, more severe psychiatric problems in like adulthood, because it's mental health problems usually emerge around adolescence. That's when there's so many different changes going on in our brains. Our brains are really developing rapidly. And sometimes that's when um, some of these problems can uh, start to emerge. So, you know, to have a better understanding of that and better early intervention treatments at that stage, it could limit the, um, you know, the suffering of people um, in their later life. Uh, I'm amazed that you say you're working with the University of Utah. Um, has this only been possible because of the internet and the ability to work remotely? I mean, that must have been such a boon to you, has it? That, like the collaborators I'm working with, I've only met them online on Zoom. So yeah, I've never met them in person. I, I only established this collaboration like late last year. And it's kind of my... Um, my first move into my own independent research project. 
which it's, it's really important for early career researchers to start developing independent research, you know, if they want to kind of have a more sustainable um, career. So yeah, it was, um, I had done some work with them, with this group during my PhD. And then I you know, took a risk and I emailed them and I asked if they were interested in collaborating. I said, I have these skills and I'd like to look at this research question. And yeah, it worked out. So it is, um, yeah, it's all done online. <laughs> that showed a bit um, of initiative on your part though. Yeah, it's um, like I am, as I mentioned, I'm kind of early to mid-career research stage now and I'm all, I'm, I've been on short-term contracts um, the last few years. So I kind of understand the need if, if I want to have a more sustainable career in research that I need to be developing my own independent research projects. Um, so yeah, I just I, I just understood that need and I, I, so I took a risk in, in moving into that area and reaching out and trying to, to network. Um, just it, it was it was a group that I was interested in and I saw they did really good work and I thought I'd, I'd like to be a part of this. So uh, yeah, it just it worked out. And that brings its own energy with it. And um, mm -hmm. just that brings us nicely onto the importance of networking and particularly for women. And I know that you're involved in weary women in research in Ireland. Um, tell me a little bit about your involvement there and how it got started and what you hope to achieve with it. Women in Research Ireland um, started in 2017. It was um, started by Cyburn, who just realised there was a need to, um, there's a lot of things that need to be addressed at women's experiences of working in university, women and other minority groups. Just need, we needed to have more kind of open conversations about some of our experiences. And so the main um, vision of our group is to achieve like equitable representation for women and minority groups in Irish higher education and ultimately, you know, internationally as well. We work to like build an, like an empowering, diverse, inclusive community of underrepresented groups so that like all voices can be heard in academic spaces. and. It's so important to have these spaces where people can speak really openly about some of the experiences or the difficulties that they're going through because it's it's a difficult career. It's not really it's not an easy career. You know, for women and minorities, we know there are a lot of issues that we face in our careers. What particular issues now would you talk about? For example, like there is a the Higher Education Authority um, in Ireland had a report to institutional staff by gender report. Like we see it in the stats that, you know, say those in senior positions, so who are professors, there's more males. So there's only 26% of professors were women in 2019. But then if you look to um, the stats for those on the really like precarious contracts, like part-time, short-term contracts, that's like 71% are women. There is a real diversity problem in academia. And that's that's just internationally, you know, there was also a report from the European Commission, and it said that in, in higher education sectors, um, just women researchers are more likely than men to be employed under precarious contracts. And they're more likely, it's more likely to be junior positions. And then there's the gender pay gap, we're more likely to earn less and <laughs> not reach senior positions. So that is just, that's just the reality of it at the moment. Like that is, that is the system. Quite annoying. You really have to change that system, really. <laughs> it's, but it's enough. I'm surprised that you're saying, well, I'm not really surprised, you know, that it's a difficult career for women, you know. <laughs> but, it, you know, it just, you really need to, to have somebody at your back and to have someone to support each other. I presume that's what worry does. 100% like 
being part of women in research has been like i'm i'm current co-director for the last two years and i was secretary before that and yeah it's it's been a massive support for me just meeting other like-minded uh people you know it's it's women, it's other minority groups, it's anyone who wants to join, to having that people who understand your experiences and, you know, they've probably gone through similar things as well. So you could just talk more openly about it. It could be very isolating otherwise. So it's just so important to have those those connections. Do you feel you're making a dent? Are things changing? Maybe changing at glacial pace, but are they changing at all? Or is there an awareness of, of change? I think like it's become more easy to talk about equality talk about diversity issues i think like having the athena swan um in the universities it does make it easier to like some raise some concerns that people have and just to talk a little bit more openly but i think there's still a, a long a long long way to go to have kind of meaningful change that's going to affect us but at the same time there have been like m- me personally i have benefited from some changes in, in policy and things like that over the last few years like the um i have the i'm supported by the irish research council postdoctoral fellowship and under the leadership of professor jane almeyer they made their applications gender blind so that the the people who are judging the applications don't know if the person applying is a what gender they are and i i received that um that funding this year and they showed that the percentage of women getting that grant has increased since they made it um, gender blind. So just goes to show you the bias that's built in there, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I am grateful that people are making those changes that I have directly benefited from. With women in research, yeah, we do try to raise awareness around a lot of the different issues that can hold people back in their careers, whether it's being on precarious contracts or if they're dealing with other things like bullying or harassment or pre- certain prejudices. It's important to raise aware- more awareness about these these issues that aren't always overtly addressed. It's hard to believe that bullying and harassment is still going on, isn't it? But I presume it does. And people don't even realise sometimes that they are being bullied or that they themselves are bullies. Yeah, it's it's a culture. It's it's um, it is culture. It's culture that needs to be changed. Uh, I suppose people are are working to change it. You know, the, the current uh, Minister for Further and Higher Education, he does seem to be, um, Simon Harris, he seems to be doing work to, to try and address some of these issues like sexual harassment in universities and supporting women in STEM. So um, there are, there does seem to be people who are, are trying to try, and you do need that support from above, you know, like it's, say for example, Women in Research Ireland is a, is a grassroots organization, like we're all volunteers we're doing this in our free time and you know we might have some impact but it's going to be it's not going to be institutional impact i suppose so you do need people from the top to be working to help address some of these issues you know if, if we want to make the workforce more diverse and inclusive yeah and reflect the the, the, the population in general you know you you've organized some really interesting events i mean i've been at a few of the weary events and they're really outside the box i mean you've had joke telling uh, music events tell me about some of the fun things you've done my co-director dr susan fashix organized open mic night uh, it was just before the pandemic um so it was just to get researchers out showing some of their other skills and talents that they have you know if it's poetry or singing or playing an instrument or art or we had a like 
we had loads of interesting people um, taking part in that. We did that in a local bar um, near the university, create that like fun social atmosphere as well. So it was a fun thing to do rather than being preached at and being overlooked yeah. statistics and that, you know, it gets me yeah. involved. Yeah. Yeah, I think our careers can take over a lot of our lives. So it's to remember that there is a, you know, there's other other sides to us as well. There, there's other interests and hobbies that we have that maybe we we don't always, uh, we're not always given time to. So just to, to spill back to the education side of things, do you think we're doing enough to get more young women involved and interested, you know, even at school level in science and STEM issues? And what I know, because Weary has done some work on that as well, and outreach, particularly Susan Fedex, Dr. Susan Fedex, you know, reaching out to schools. Um, do you think more can be done or what works in schools? That's that's where it starts, even in primary school. I suppose stereotypes kind of emerge quite early on, especially in, in for STEM, for science fields. Girls aren't as actively encouraged to build up skills in their like, spatial awareness and problem solvings and things like that, just those, those basic skills that you'll need as a, as a scientist or working in STEM. So I think it's, it's addressing just some of those stereotypes that we have, you know, the labels we put on like gender and boys and girls supposed need to be stripped back a bit. And say, for example, I went to an, an all-girls school and we didn't have options for other subjects like applied maths or technical drawing or some of those subjects that would be available in the, in the all-boys school. So I like I noticed when I did my first year of engineering that I felt like I was way behind the, the boys that had come from the old, old boys school because they just had they just had that knowledge because they had done it in school. Um, but I just didn't have enough experience doing that. But like I did catch up, I think, just early on. If we were just given giving girls more options to, to try out these different, you know, science, if it's science or maths or, or these other areas that they just they can just have the option and figure out for themselves that's what they but like you were to do. encouraged early on did, were you encouraged from home from school where where did the end are you just naturally interested in, in science yourself and engineering i just really liked maths when i was in school i just like maths was my favorite subject so i just loved solving maths and i loved like that was my my favorite subject um i liked chemistry as well I liked accounting I liked those kind of sciencey areas like the advice was like well if you're good at maths do engineering so that was I was like okay <laughs> it was kind of as, as, as simple as that um like I, I never had a plan from day one what I wanted to do there was there was never in a plan it was just kind of like oh I like this I'll keep doing a bit more of this work and then I kind of moved into something else sounds like it's working for you though without kind of realizing it I think I I always I do what I I like to do you know I think if you just do what you like doing like you'll enjoy your job more you'll get more from it it's kind of I suppose following your your passion that sort of thing it's, it's things I like to do like it's things that I'm happy to sit on my own for a few hours and work on <laughs> you know I think if you like if you can do that and if you like doing that then you know you're probably you're in the right job you know what about mentorship and you know getting someone to tell you uh, a bit of you know allyship someone to sponsor you almost going through your university career um how does that work in academia and how has it worked for you it's so important to have uh mentorship and sponsorship um like you really need someone mentoring you but you need someone you also need someone who's like going to advocate for you someone in a senior position who's going to speak up for you and mention your name at meetings and like we know that that's a key driver for success 
especially moving into like more senior um, positions. But at the same time, women can find it harder to find mentors and sponsors um, than perhaps their male counterparts. Like I remember when I started moving into the next stage of the career as a postdoc and a research fellow, you know, the, the advice I always heard was like to find a mentor. So it's like they say, find a mentor, um, maybe try and find a, a female mentor who's in the same field as you. But it's not it's not always easy. You know, it's easier said than done. So like at the time, like I realized I needed a mentor. And I was like, how do I do this? So I did email a few people that I was like, oh, they're they're pretty cool. I like what they do. Um, but it didn't really work out because you know, they're obviously very busy in their own jobs and they have their own staff to work with and stuff. So, um, and sometimes a mentorship kind of needs to happen naturally, you know, um, that's, that's sometimes how it happens. But at the same time, like I, I took part in a women in leadership program in Trinity this year. It was the Aurora Women in Leadership Program. It was run by Advanced Higher Education, which is um, the UK's higher education authority. You know, they were, they were training us to become women uh, leaders. And um, as part of this, we were allocated a mentor. So it was someone who was in the university who was in a, a, diff a slightly different field, but um, it was like an, a kind of an official mentorship that we were, we were assigned to. You know, they had signed up for it. And I, I thought that worked really well, that it was like kind of a structured mentorship scheme that mentor was like really supportive for me. She helped me, you know, because I'm, I'm at a time when I'm coming towards the end of a, my contract and she was like really supportive with that and helping me with who to contact and even how to even word certain emails and things like that. So, because um, I suppose she had gone through it herself. So I think that is, that's really important. But I think, you know, if universities could have a more structured mentorship scheme, that would be really invaluable for junior staff and early career staff. I think it would probably be good for your mental health because you don't waste all that time worrying, uh, you know, like, where's the next paycheck going to come from? Where's my work going to proceed to? Um, is that sort of thing really important? Do you mean the mentorship for that or? Yeah, yeah. Like just having a clearly defined pathway, like you were saying, it's really good that this is, you know, that this has been done, that the Aurora program has been done in Trinity. Um, but does that need to be rolled out for women in all sorts of universities? And does it really help? I think these things are invaluable. <laughs> they really, they really are. It's just for it's education. It's just learning how the system works. And I think once you understand that, you're just in a much better position. You know, when you're, especially for junior and early career staff, you don't researchers. You don't really always understand how the system works, or you don't understand what options are available to you or your career paths. There's a lot more that that could be done to support um, junior staff and early career researchers. Um, just it's it's just it's just education you know if you if you know the stuff early on it's just going to make it things much easier for you you know um in the long run but it's funny the way some groups i won't say gender but some groups keep this knowledge and aren't that keen to share it so it's it's good that there's some sort of a structure so that there is there is path forward for you just before we leave this area athena swan is that making a difference in trinity is it making a difference in academia that's that's a really good question so we know Athena Swan is the most internationally well-known institutional transformation project for, for gender equality. And we know that it's made some difference, but I think it's made hasn't made massive difference to, to create kind of meaningful institutional changes. Professor Pat O'Connor, who is a professor of sociology and social policy, she writes about this, um, this extensively. 
So we know that it, it creates change and that it makes it kind of easier to voice things about diversity and equality and issues and things like that. But it hasn't created kind of meaningful change in the underrepresentation of women in senior positions or in other aspects of the culture or reducing the gender pay gap. You know, it does create a context that makes it easier to talk about gender equality, but the institutional impact, you know, it hasn't made massive changes yet. Hopefully in time that will change. Um, are you optimistic about having a new woman as provost in Trinity? That's brilliant. So Professor Linda Doyle is the first, has become the first ever woman provost um, of Trinity College in like nearly 500 years. So that that does give some hope. You know, she's been really great. Like she's, she's very engaging. She took part in one of our women and research events this year as well. So um, and she seems to really want to create some meaningful, meaningful changes as well. So like it's it's hopeful, like it's it's shocking at the same time that um, it took so long to get a woman in that position. Yeah, it does give a little hope. And she's a scientist like yourself. OK, before we finish up, what are your five top pearls of wisdom? OK, um, I would say to take risks. So I remember going to uh, the first women research Ireland event that I went to was your best media self. Um, it was helping women and minorities, you know, to learn media skills and things like that. And Angie yourself was emceeing that event. And I, I think it was you that had said the advice was, um, you know, if you're asked to do something, say yes and panic later. And I've always like that stuck with me over the last few years. So, you know, it's if you're getting opportunities, it's good, but it can be a bit like scary as well. It's like new ter- territory that you're moving into. So just say yes, uh, because it's, it's going to be good for you ultimately. And then you can just panic later. <laughs> and um, what I've realized is that I do panic, but then when I do it, it's never as bad as I had thought it would be. And I think the more you do it, then it's it's just going to get easier to be, you know, putting yourself out there a bit more. So that was really good advice. I would say to in in research and you know, in this job, especially just to prioritize yourself and prioritize your well-being. Um, we know that in these careers there's a high percentage of people um, like mental health problems are, are quite high um, especially for those doing PhDs um, so just make sure you prioritize yourself take your breaks do do nice things don't forget the, the hobbies and interests that you have as well like I I have I there's times I've had a terrible work-life balance but like I work on that now and I realize that you do need that time away from from the job as well so um, just just make sure you prioritize yourself. I think I like I realized early in my my career that, you know, you have to be the, the driver of your career, uh, the driver of your own where you want to go. So you really need to start as well putting yourself out there a little bit and advocating for yourself and just share with people what you're doing, because otherwise people don't know. So I did start using social media a few years ago and I'm quite addicted to it now. <laughs> so uh, things like I use Twitter a lot and LinkedIn and Instagram and you know on, on Twitter like I just my personal account you know I just follow like like-minded people people are in the same field as me and it's it's so good for networking because you can I have you connect with people you never thought you would have connected with and just have a conversation um and like I it you know it, it does help because people know what work I'm doing they know what I'm interested they know what I what I want to do and that that really helps then if you know, if an opportunity comes up, then they, they might be more aware of of me and my research. So it's um, 
particularly when you're reaching across the world, like to Utah, and people can just look at all the work that you've done. It's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's, yeah, if you put, you know, make sure you have that profile on, on the internet, um, even having your own LinkedIn page, it's kind of like having your own website, you know, put all, all your all your um, your skills and your, uh, your career um, experience up there. And yeah, it's available for everyone to see. So it's, I think- And you can put your podcast up there too. Yeah, all the media stuff that you do there, but you can. It's, it's great. Yeah. And people get a real feel for who you are. Yeah, which is really important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Money advice. I know you have precarious career there, but you must have got money advice over the years from family, from teachers, or something like that. What's the best bit of money advice you ever got? It was quite early on. My dad would have said he would have like opened savings accounts for us. And, you know, he would have encouraged us to save, you know, saving our communion money, confirmation money, things like that. So I've kind of had got that ethos from a young age. And um, when I started working, he advised that I set up, in the, you know, a savings account so that every month there's a certain amount coming out, direct debit that's going into a savings account. Um, and that's really like that's grown over the last few years. So I would say start saving early, just set up a savings account, whether it's a, if you're starting with a small amount, I think I started with like 20 euro a month coming out, <laughs> but you know, it's grown over the years. So um, start saving early and that will just, that'll grow over the years. And then that will help when it comes to the stage, if you need a, a deposit for a house or something like that, you know, so uh, a savings account should just be first. <laughs> Terrific advice. Cause I find mentally as well as that, like, cause I got the same advice from my mom. And uh, it was like mentally you just spend what's left over. So you don't even consider the bit that's been stashed away. So you just moderate your spending patterns. And it's that's really, it. you, really good advice. Yeah. Yeah. You sometimes you don't even notice it's gone, you know, because you get used to that. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. Just start saving you. Great advice. And finally, your go to music choice. I presume you like music, Joanne, do you? I do, I do. I, I always have some music on when I'm working or studying or something. So yeah, music is, is, is great. And what would you listen to when you're studying or do you listen to different types of music for different situations? I am a, I, like, I don't have one. It just depends what mood I'm in, what music I listen to. So sometimes if I'm, you know, any quiet writing time, I'll just have some like um, classical music on just to, to like kind of calm me down. But if I need some like motivation or something, or if I'm doing something new or something, a presentation or something like that, I'll try and put on something more like a motivational song, like might be a bit cheesy, but maybe, you know, something like, you know, that song by Journey, Don't Stop Believing. So it's like oh, those, kind of, those kind of songs that have that message that's kind of like just yeah. can pick you up and motivate you and get you kind of, you know, yeah. uh, motivated. So it just, it depends on, depends on mood I'm in, but like, yeah, like it definitely adds something to, you know, to your work, to life. Yeah. And do you listen to the radio? I don't listen to the radio as much as I would like to. I think I've just I've gotten out of the habit of it. I listen to like podcasts and Spotify and YouTube and things like that. Um, but yeah, no, I would I would like to. To listen more to the radio i think it's just I, I used to i've just like in our house at home we'd always just have the radio on in the kitchen but i think we've kind of it's kind of changed that we just spend so much time on our laptops you know yeah. so um i, I would like to people's yeah people's patterns of listening i think have changed hugely over the um over the course of the pandemic too haven't they yeah yeah i think it's just it's so much time on the laptops it's 
we're basically living living on our laptops aren't we you know mm. well it's been, been lovely meeting you i know you well but it's really nice to hear about your work and uh phenomenal work that you're doing with weary and the best of luck with it joanne and i'm sure your your the, the doors will open to more work for you in your own research work as well so dr joanne kenny um thank you so much for doing the women in leadership podcast and the best of luck with your career thank you very much angie thank you my thanks to my guest dr joanne kenny of trinity college dublin and weary women in research ireland certainly a lot to think about there with the precarious position of women researchers in academia If we want to see and hear more women and underrepresented groups in research, in senior leadership teams, change has to start with early career researchers being supported and mentored through the system. That's all for this episode. You can email us through the website womeninleadership.ie or follow us on Twitter at leadingwomenpod. Until the next time, from me, Angie Mazzetti and all the Women in Leadership team here, goodbye and take care.